Today's episode is brought to you by Slayhouse Publishing, recorded at Wayne Howard Studios. Hey everybody, I'm Jeremy. Uh, this is Slayhouse Publishing presents Lit Bits, and this is our second episode into looking at vampires and specifically Bram Stoker's <laughs> Dracula. Dracula. Um, Dracula. With me, as always, is Trevor and Curtis. Say hello, guys. Hello, guys. Thank you. What's up? Yeah, Trevor just doesn't get the the airplane jokes. Um, <laughs> it's like, surely you must be joking. I'm not joking, and don't call me I'm Shirley. I'm not joking. <laughs> um, so to, last time we talked about uh, vampires just kind of around the world. We talked about vampire myths and where vampires come from. And today we have a look into Bram Stoker's life. And one of the things I think is really interesting, because we talked about this kind of, um, we alluded to this a little bit in the Karen Huff episode about how people tend to uh, associate um, the writer and their life in their fictional works. And of all the things that that Bram Stoker wrote, the consensus is, is that the uh, uh, Dracula is probably his most autobiographical book out there. So today we're going to talk a little bit about Bram Stoker and the man who created the novel Dracula. Um, but I think first we were going to mention, because by the time this episode airs, uh, we would have, uh, it's been a few weeks, but but at the recording of this episode, we just learned that Anne Rice had passed away. Yeah, very um, sadly. Very sadly. And uh, she was she was older than I thought she was. I mean, I think she was, what, about 80? Yeah, I believe she was 80 years old. So I, um, I mean, that is sad. It's, it's really cause they were there. She's kind of had a resurgence. Like I think it's AMC or somebody is doing a new mm-hmm. like interview with the yeah, vampire they're, they're series. Bringing a whole, uh, yeah. A whole they're doing the whole books, life. right? Like all the, not just the first novel. But I think the doing... intention was to do all of, cause all of those books are in kind of a shared, they're a shared sequence, universe, right? Yeah. yeah. So we're, we're actually, what's kind of interesting about this is that we're going to talk about a little about Anne Rice and kind of what she did for the vampire as we talk about um, in our fourth episode. kind or, of Or later episode. Or later episode. Um, okay. Where our, uh, where we're going, that's kind of how we're going to end the series, I think, is kind yeah. of how vampires have evolved. Yeah. But I think, you know, as we have this conversation, because we originally started wanting to talk about Bram Stoker, because Stoker was to you kind of the person who represented the strongest paradigm shift in all of vampire fiction. And it's really difficult to get away from what Stoker was doing with vampires. You know, as we were talking about Anne Rice's influence over vampires and vampiric fiction, I think there's not been a book since the 1970s that uh, doesn't owe at least something to... And Rice's vampires. Sure, um, sure. And, I think and when though, I say a book, I mean like a, yeah. a vampire fiction or an ur- you know like urban fantasy. And that's something we'll delve into a little more in depth at that later episode. Yeah. Um, I I do. I mean, going back to my thesis, I feel like not just vampire fiction, but horror fiction in general. I mean, it, it Stoker's is one of the most important works to give legitimacy to that genre in the realm of literature. I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um. So today we're going to talk a little bit about his life, and we're working off of three sources, and like always with all of our our books and and everything that we talk about, I'm going to post the sources on our website, but for a brief chronology, uh, a chronological timeline, we're going to talk about, uh, or we're going to use the University of Missouri's um, website that adapted from the Norton Critical Dracula edition by 
Auerbach and Skull. Uh, they have a, a chronological timeline for, for Stoker's life. We're going to rely on Barbara Bedford's Bram Stoker and the Man Who Is Dracula. Barbara Belford. Belford. What did I say? Bedford. Bedford. Bedford? Yeah. Well, you know. Wrong. Bedford, Belford. I mean, I don't know. You got okay. bats in your belfry? I have bats in my belfry. Once. I have bats in my belfry. <laughs> we can cut uh-huh. all this, by the way. <laughs> this, this is. <laughs> and our producer is, shaking his head, like, no, in. this is staying <laughs> in. This and, is another tangential <laughs> moment here. Uh oh. Trevor Uh-oh. said tangential. There's that, <laughs> that word. Listen to that mistake, everybody. He said tangential. <laughs> Just completely taking it out of the contest. Who, would, context who in their right was... mind would say such a wrong word like that? <laughs> um, and finally, <laughs> we have Paul Murray from The Shadow of Dracula, Life of Bram Stoker. Uh, again, I'll put these, source, uh, these sources on our website. So if you want to check them out, what we're giving you today is by no means a complete history of Bram Stoker's life. We're touching on. We couldn't. We couldn't do that. I mean, this episode's going to be get long that enough. Granular. I mean, you're I would read. Have to read these books. For I would yourself. read Belford's book. I mean, hers is considered the the quintessential story yeah. of Bram Stoker. So yeah. I would read her her book. Um, what we're doing is we're going to touch on his life, and we're going to talk about a little bit about um, just the aspects of his life that helped him shape and create what we know as the novel of Dracula today. Sure. Um, so. Abraham Stoker was born in Dublin in 1847. Uh, he was born to an interestingly prom- prominent family and that his family name on both sides, like his, his mom and his dad, could be linked back 500 years to some of the most famous names in Ireland. But his dad was never really that rich. His dad was decidedly middle class. Um, his dad actually, in the time of his death in the 1870s, had quite a bit of debt that Stoker had to help kind of like – line out and kind of kind of fix. Um, so <clears throat> Stoker, I feel like I'm just talking and you guys are quiet. Is there like, do you guys have anything you want to jump in and say on this or? No, like, I'm learning. You're learning. Yeah, I'm just listening to you. This is words. news to me too. So. <laughs> okay, well, uh, so, <laughs> so Stoker on. had, uh, was one of seven children. His oldest brother, you're going to, I love this name, Thornley. Honey, if you're I listening. Like too. I want to name our first child Thornley. Thornley. Thornley, Thornley Billingsley. Ooh. Um, because why the hell? I mean, I just want him to go to school. I mean, it's... <laughs> that kid's gonna get picked on so bad, though. He will. Stand you know up what? Here's what you worse. do. You name him Thornley. I'm gonna but then teach you him. Also, ensure that he's just carrying around like Wolverine <laughs> claws all the time. There you go. And he just pokes people that make fun of him. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, as a as a baby, I'm gonna build a special you, pouch to where I carry him on the side of me, so yeah. that I can be like, I have a thorn on my side. Uh, <laughs> I can make my him. own child my own pun. Oh yes. uh, no! That's, that's <laughs> what, Wait, what is the is for, purpose right? of having children if not to name them puns? Yeah, totally. yeah. I mean, I learned that from there, Adam's there's, family there's values no when they named the baby. Imperative. <laughs> I named that. <laughs> I mean, Adam's family <laughs> values when he named the uh, the baby pubert. I mean. Oh man. <laughs> Of, of the bad names of, for children, it's like Pubert, Renesme. For I still can't get over Twilight's Renesme. What a stupid name, Renesme. Renesme. Okay, it's a well, Stoke, it's a terrible okay. name. Stoker's yeah. older brother was named Thornley, and what's interesting is that in their lifetime, in their mother's lifetime, of the seven children, you would think Bram Stoker would be the most successful, but he wasn't. His brother Thornley was the most successful. Okay, um, but we don't remember Thornley Stoker. 
in the 20 like, you will after this episode is we, done i do now you're gonna know <laughs> you are going to know thornley that stoker that might be one of the coolest names i've ever heard Thornley Stoker I mean, stars Stoker in Stoker alone is a cool last name. It is. Yeah. I I I want to. I think I'm going to change legally change my name to Stoker. What's yeah. his great 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 nephew name? Drac Dacker. Decray. 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 Is it that? Decray it? Stoker. He's yeah. like alive now. He's like he's an author now. How do you spell that? Decray. D a c r e. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Okay. It's, yeah. He's 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 a re kind of constituted the vampire myth and like wrote a sequel to Dracula and all those. I was thinking yeah, the right. apostrophe C-R-A-Y. Like yeah. Decray. Like a street in uh, New Orleans or something. Well, I mean, the I reason... could be mispronouncing it. <laughs> the reason I say say Thornley was the most successful is he becomes a doctor. Uh, he becomes he has a really high position in government. He actually becomes knighted by Queen Victoria at one point, but I'll get into that in a little bit. Thornley did. Thornley got Thornley. knighted. We have Sir Thornley. It's not just Thornley Stoker. It's Sir it Thornley just got Stoker. S T S man. S T S. Sir Thornley Stoker. Yes. Um. God. So for Bram himself, for for the young boy, his father was also named Abraham. So that's probably why he went by Bram kind of distinguish himself a little bit, but he was really, really sickly as a child. And so he spent a lot of time by the sea, spent a lot of time reading. He spent a lot of time um, learning about like sea myths and these kinds of things play very heavily into his future fiction. Um, He was very, they never discuss exactly what he was sick with. They say he was near to the point of death a a few times, Um, but he was just a really frail child, and it took his mother and the nurse they hired to help take care of him. Um, the kids they all know what he was sick with. Like back I then? think they knew what he was sick with, but I don't think they ever revealed what he was sick with. Okay. Um, so I think they kind of hid that, and like Stoker himself would never talk the, about it. The illness reveal party that just never coalesced. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What kind of balloon would that be? Like, yeah, I like so sad. green. Puke green. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! You, <laughs> you <It's> typhoid. <laughs> yeah, I can't even Yay. get through the joke. <laughs> it just bursts. What, <laughs> what cupcakes do you bring to a typhoid reveal like <laughs> party? Oh my god! <laughs> You've got the pox, Charlie. <laughs> See, the sprinkles look like the pox. <laughs> Oh my god. I hate red velvet cake, mummy. <laughs> the 19th century just became way more interesting. The 19th century is cool. Um and <laughs> they got, it's cool they got disease. Yeah. It's cool they have disease. It's like if you ever loved like old cool gothic like like, like if you were ever a goth in high school, you would have loved Victorian <laughs> England. Like it was totally your oh, jam, oh. man. <laughs> so <laughs> What's um, it's assumed that uh, I forgot where I was going to go with that. Like I totally <laughs> I got lost, and I feel well, like this, what was it assumed that he had? Um, there were a number. I don't know. There were a number of things. It was something bloodborne, or it was something um, some kind of demon. It wasn't a demon. I no? think they knew that it was not a demon. Okay. All right. I think they were they were middle class Irish Catholics. I mean, the only demons they had were alcoholism. <laughs> <laughs> alcoholism. <laughs> <laughs> We just lost lost the Irish listeners. Let's be real, though. The Irish (laughs) are going to stick around. They know what it's about. (laughs) (laughs) They get it. They definitely get it. Um, It could have been a number of... uh, It could have been a number of things. It could have been a heart condition. It could have been um, 
something respiratory. It was something serious that left him very, very sick at some point, mm. but it was not something that de- was debilitating for the rest of his life. And gonna I'm going to get into that in a few minutes. Yeah, it's Did kind it of amazing better? how you said he's a sickly <clears throat> child and he came close to death like several times, right? Right. And then he just gets over it. Somehow. He gets better. Well, I mean, yeah, that's, that's the that weird thing. That kind of was the, the way that a lot of 19th century medicine went. I mean, if you consider medicine even into the, the 20th century, even in Europe, it was not that great, right? Yeah. Um, there were so, antibiotics, right? Uh, no, I, no, because I, I, I get into I get later. into that. Um, actually, in part of the timeline, we see where Stoker. I kind of compare where Stoker was alive, like his life. What kind of big things were going on around that that time? So, for instance, the year of his birth, um, James Malcolm Reimer uh, first serialized his Penny Dreadful, Vammy the Vampire. Am I saying that right? Trevor? I, I've never heard of it. Vamy the Vampire? Vamy sure. the Vampire. So, that makes um, sense. And I, the year that Stoker entered college in Trinity College, Dublin, the American Civil War was going on. Right, so, 1863. In 1863. Yeah. Stoker was 16 years old. Um, he was not a great student. He was like, on his entry rank into the like his class, his freshman class, he was like 41 out of 50. So he, he was hmm. a very mediocre student. Hmm. Yeah, you're humming that. He's like, in the bottom twenty percent. It's just a little too relatable for me. That's why I'm, <laughs> I'm reeling over here. But look at what he aspired to. So you know, I mean, just because you're in the bottom twenty percent, you can still aim for the stars. Yeah, that don't matter. We need that NBC. The more you know, that ding 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 ding. You think you're in the, you, you think you can <laughs> the more you know. just broke a copyright. I did just break we're a just, copyright. We're being sued by the Peacock now. Okay. Well, yeah. There you go, guys. They're coming after <laughs> it us. was nice knowing you. Slay House is now out of business. So, all right. <laughs> NBC needs every cent they can get. I just heard the other day that those two things are not affiliated. Really? The Peacock Network. Really? Oh. Maybe I'm wrong, but I heard somebody say that, yeah, NBC and Peacock are not. I mean, their streaming service is called Peacock, and it airs all the NBC and NBC yeah. Universal stations. So Yeah, maybe I'm wrong. I thought it was, I don't uh, know. yeah. I mean, it was kind of their, their unofficial mascot. Peacock. I need to so, check that out. Stoker, I'm going to give you some perspective here. Stoker was decidedly middle class, but so were the children of lawyers and bankers and businessmen and accountants. His dad was a, he was, he was like mid-level public service. You know, he's kind of a, just a a kind of a grunt of a bureaucracy. um, But that that would also kind of make sense, right? Because if we're talking about 19th century Europe, I mean, even through industrialization, you're still going to have. Uh, uh, the upper class, which is mostly like former nobility, right? Right. Because the the middle class only really exists because of like rich tradesmen, right? Or or, right. or traders, you know, like merchants through previous centuries who who kind of built this familial wealth. Right. And yeah. it only appeared after the effects. Actually, this is kind of interesting because the same time. Um, you were talking about how medicine wasn't that evolved, but medicine was more evolved than it had been in previous centuries because up until like the bubonic plague, which actually stretched out for a number of centuries across Europe, um, Mm -hmm. we think it's like one specific time period, but actually the plague kind of came in waves over several hundred years. But uh, they went from like, they they didn't believe anymore like humors and like bloodletting were like a thing. They were starting to learn about serious medicine because the plague had decimated the region, uh, region, but the plague had also um, helped create the middle class. Right. I mean, 19th century medicine was getting better and better and better. 
at least in Europe, in the United States, uh, medicine would would languish behind for, I mean, until the 20th century. Really, it was only the early 20th century that we start to see American uh, doctors get better. And, right. And around the, the time of the, uh, the, the big... I mean, people. Influenza of 1920. I mean, that's and, really and it's kind of an illustration American of this. We talk about medicine um, caught up. Exactly. Yeah, we talk about Stoker going into college in 1863, and his. Uh, you know, this is at the time of the American Civil War. People were still dying from like gunshot wounds to like not even important parts of the body. They were having their legs amputated. They were dying from infection uh, from these gunshot right. wounds in their legs. So, yep. so medicine still had a long way to go. What's interesting is that even though Stoker was not a um, a strong academic, he still had a big presence there in college. Um, so Stoker was part of the College Historical Society and the College Philo- Philosophical Society, and those were called the Hist and the and the Fist. I guess, yeah. The, well, the you can make of that what All you right. want. Let's be real: <laughs> a whole bunch of weird history nerds and and philosophers were like we're gonna name ourselves this because i'm tired of getting sand kicked in my face by the charles atlas crowd right yeah the hist and the fist they come in and they they punch you but st- <laughs> rough, rough group they punch you in yeah in the groin because that's that's where the hist comes from right the hist, the hist. and the fist the hist that's what i named my feet the hist in the fist. I'm a kicker. Like, <laughs> now how I met your mother is going to uh, sue us. <laughs> um, yeah. He was really big into these programs. And as sick as I said Stoker was as a child, he actually became a huge athlete. He became a very, very powerful athlete. And if you look at photos of him uh, to this day, um, he's a very broad-shouldered, like strong-looking guy. He's a he's a buff dude. Damn. Yeah, came the odds. He pulled like the, the, idea he pulled the Teddy Roosevelt, huh? Yeah. He did. He, he almost kind of looks like Teddy Roosevelt. I like the idea picks. that he had. A, a, there's a Bram Stoker calendar out there, and it's just his muscle poses. <laughs> <laughs> I like August because it's his bikini pick. <laughs> um, you know, Stoker, he didn't publish a lot at this time, but he was always reading. He was always attending lectures. He was an officer in these historical societies. A lot of people think that what started, by the way, um, this rift between Stoker and Oscar Wilde was this uh, the fact that he had kept Oscar Wilde out of one of these uh, historical societies, and that couldn't be further from the truth. He, um, he didn't have anything to do with that. Um, he was really big into like gymnastics, rugby for you Americans out there who don't know what rugby is. It's football on steroids. So you think football's rough. Like I thought football was on steroids. Football is on steroids, but rugby is like, (laughs) rugby is like fewer pads, right? Fewer pads. Yeah. Yeah. More, but less like intentional head to head. Oh yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. They're still missing a lot more teeth. Um, (laughs) He was into gymnastics. Like this is a big dude. You can imagine him like on the like the the trapeze and like the rings and stuff. I mean, that's that's like that's huge. I wonder what his floor show is all about. Like the his rings? his floor program. It involved the pole. No, it didn't. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we can't make fun. Damn, we can't make Stoker. fun. <laughs> that's Mister September. <laughs> um, can we make fun of our subject for the the book? He's I, dead. The, he doesn't care. He's very dead. He's very dead. He's been yeah. gone a long time. <laughs> um, and 
<laughs> I hope that's how I'm remembered. People just say weird shit about me. I don't want to be, like, check it out. I don't want to be remembered like his dad. Listen, his dad was like 77 years old. He was a fine-looking, gentle, and good man, fond of his family, religious. That's his obituary, right? That's his obituary. Yeah. That's like the blandest, like, least entertaining, least, like, if you summed my he life up like that. He was fine. He was okay. <laughs> what a person he was. <laughs> he was the most average of us all. <laughs> <laughs> the most average. That's going, I'm putting that on your tombstone. I, I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah. Painfully average. <laughs> Painfully yeah. average. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I see that that normal man, and he scares me. <laughs> he's, he's too average. If he was below average, I could understand. If he was above average, I could understand. But perfectly average? No way. I just don't get it. It's painful. This is, you know, this is in a time when we have something like the Slender Man, which is just a tall white guy in a suit. I still love, <laughs> yeah. I still love the fact that an eighth grader's perfect idea of a, a horror monster is just a dude with a suit living in the woods. That's it. No, no, no. He's got tentacles that come out of his back. Well, you're missing that part. He wears it, but he wears a suit and tie. Like Slender Man has a job and a gym membership because he's slender. He looks like the dude from that uh, Christmas nightmare. Yeah. Nightmare Nightmare Before Christmas. He looks like a. a, (laughs) Wow, Curtis. That's a good one. The Christmas nightmare. uh, You know, after Christmas. Between you and and Trevor Sand's genital. (laughs) That was pretty rough. That was. I keep passing, or like our listeners aren't going to get it, but like I keep yeah. passing off the tans genital on Curtis, but it's really my tans genital. Yeah, you're going to have to just. I like how you, you've even <laughs> added an extra S to the word Transgenital. Uh, you've made it into a verb. I Yeah, I did. Yeah. Oh, man. After we leave this recording, I'm going to go tans genital my. You're going to go tan your genitals? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, moving on. Can we move? On? <laughs> anyway, so My face is red. <laughs> who'd have thought this episode would have done that? This is <sighs> I'm I'm you know Trevor did so good with the the, uh, the Star Wars episode. I'm really just trying to live up to that. It's hard. Um, Tim, right? It is. <laughs> now we can't say anything like that now. Talking about tangential and then like it's hard and. But we can talk about how this guy did the rings and the trapeze. He did the rings and the trapeze. He did rugby. He won a lot of medals. He was not a good student, though. Most people, it took about four or five years to graduate. It took him about six or seven years to graduate with his master's. So, With um, his master's? Yeah, he ended up earning an MA out of Trinity In College. In six or seven years? Isn't mm-hmm. that normal, though? But I don't feel like they had a bachelor's at that program at that time. Like, I don't think it was oh. just... I think they so came out of the, the you, program you with out. an MA. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, when he, you only live to be 40, you got to hurry up and get these things. Yeah, you exactly. Rush, yeah. 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 Um, he entered civil service just like his dad uh, in 1866 or 1867. They think maybe there was like a like a internship kind of appointment, so that's why there's a discrepancy on the the years. Um, that's the same year that uh, the typewriter was patented. So kind of cool. We now have typewriters. Kids, for those of you who don't know, typewriters came before computers and before, like, laptops and pads. I I love the idea that a kid doesn't know what a typewriter is. Exactly, right? It's hard to come by now. Like, I don't don't know the last time I saw a typewriter. I don't know. My wife bought one for my anniversary. I I don't have a ribbon for it yet. Was it the one with the little, uh, the letter, the ball, or the little hammers that swing and and hit the The little hammers. Okay, those are cooler. 
in my oh, mind. Oh, yeah. They make such absolutely. a good sound, too. Yeah. Let's all do it. That's good. Yeah. Let's all make that That's sound the again. rest of the episode, folks. That's us just sitting yeah. around going... It's such a tactile sensation, too. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, <laughs> say, one of the guys asked me what a petty session, a clerk for petty sessions is. Is it for sessions that are just really pedantic? <laughs> yeah. It's like, my God, you're in here again? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, kind of, yeah. They he dealt with. stole <laughs> my cereal this morning, miss. It's <laughs> oh, really petty of you. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you make that joke, but they did. They dealt with like minor offenses. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they audited accounts uh, that for the cl- for the co- uh, courts. I'm done. Blah, 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 blah. This episode brought to you today by Porky pig um <laughs> but ee, but ee, but ee, that's all folks uh <laughs> oh we're done <laughs> uh no but he um so he started working in this and that was the first book he actually published too it was a manual on how to um like <laughs> like make like streamline the clerk job like description and like make their jobs even more like mechanical and streamlined and, a and worthy more efficient. <laughs> so a worthy read. He, he's by the way. he's really the man. He yeah, is. Yeah, 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 he's he's a jack of all trades. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Coming in, we need not, to, we need efficiency here. When he's we not trapezing, by <laughs> when he's not he's trapezing. That's not a hobby. Rugby. That's like a big old commitment. You know, I think I'll take up trapezing for a bit. <laughs> like you're swinging and risking like, your life. I gotta go blow off some steam, and he's just doing the doing the rings. <laughs> he like and then he like swings down into like a rugby court and like beats up a bunch of guys. Yes, it's all just in like, one big motion. And yeah. he goes home like, all right, he's now. Now Batman. it's time to write my manual write. on the petty clerk's job description. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, the year he received his MA from the Trinity College, Charles Dickens died. That's oh, a sad. Man. I'm oh. bringing it all together. Yeah, for Charles Dickens. And a, and a moment of silence for Charles Dickens. Really unappreciated. Charles We're not having Dickens. that moment of silence. Mm. Our silence is us just making. He's uh, dead. He doesn't yeah. care. <laughs> um, we get a moment of silence for Charles Dickens. <laughs> yes. A year later, he <laughs> assumed. Dickensian moment of silence. <laughs> a year later, he assumed the post as uh, drama critic for the Dublin Mail. This would be uh, Stoker getting into theater, and theater plays a huge role in Stoker's life and in his writings as well, too, and especially in Dracula. Um, this is the same year that Lewis Carroll published Alice Through the Looking Glass, Charles Darwin published The Descent of Man, and Jay Sheridan Le Fanu published Carmilla. And what's interesting about Jay Sheridan Le Fanu, because I think we, Trevor and I have talked about like how much Carmilla influenced Stoker, and yeah. there's no direct evidence of that. But, but it's, ha- it's hard not to well, look at but here's the thing. both Carmilla and Dracula and yeah. see there's so much similarity there. So here's the deal. Lefanu was part of Trinity College Dublin, right? He was a part of that. He also lived in a big mansion next door to the Wilde family of Oscar Wilde fame. Um, Stoker and Wilde were contemporaries, and Stoker spent a lot of time with the family. And Jay Sheridan Lefanu's works, not just Carmilla, but all of them, were really well known to that literary group in Trinity College. So even though there's no direct evidence that he like influenced it, there's a lot of evidence that he influenced it. Like, for example, I think Carmilla takes place with um, the vampire lives in like Syria or something. It's a it's a female vampire. And mm-hmm. Stoker, before he learns of the historical Dracula, his vampire, Count Wampir, I wish I were making that up, but I'm not. Um, it, it wouldn't be a W, though. It, would be it, it was W. Yeah. Well, but, but it would but still I mean, say it, it with a V, right? Vampire. Yeah, Vampire. Yeah, okay. Vampire. Yeah. It would be Wampir. Wampir. 
This um, isn't Star Wars with wampas. So the V, the v <laughs> thank God, the yeah. V came in just because that's how people were always saying it. But right? he originally uh, set right, the right, story. Right, yeah, he originally yeah. set his Dracula. He originally set what would become Dracula in Syria until he read about and learned about Dracula, the historical figure, and he changed everything. Right. Um, so yeah, there's there's plenty of evidence to say that he definitely was, you know, was knowledgeable of Lefanu and his works and Carmilla. Yeah. Um, so just as he had done with the petty clerk sessions, right, Stoker uh, revolutionized theater reviewing. Because, like, in the past, before Stoker comes along, they go see a play, they review it, they put it in the paper, and it doesn't come out for, like, two or three days later. But Stoker's like, no, this can be more efficient, just like the petty clerk office. So he revolutionized it to where once he wrote a review, it came out... The next day. There comes those petty clerk skills. Yeah. I'm telling you, man. I mean, he mm. really... We really should have used him for a lot of our fall movie reviews. We he, we yeah. should use him to write the scripts, because I think <laughs> he'd, be like, he'd be like, my God, you guys are just not efficient. If you, ever work, if you ever work a crummy medial job, just you know, believe that those skills will pop up at just the right moment someday. When, they will. When it really matters, right? This guy who's bottom, what, bottom 20% of his class... Yeah. And he, you know, proved he is incredibly efficient. Boom. Bam. Well, I mean, think about everything that he does in one day. Like, mm-hmm. I would have to wake up at 3 a.m. and go to bed at midnight to do all the things that this guy did. Yeah. You know, to do track. Well, they didn't have TV. Rings. They didn't have phones. They didn't have radio. I like the idea right. that he did all of these things in a single day. Yeah. 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 yeah, this is all one day. I'm doing my trapeze stuff. <laughs> trapeze, and rugby. And later on, I'm working at the clerk desk while I'm simultaneously <laughs> reviewing this play that I just went it. to say. <laughs> and I'm reviewing, I'm reviewing stuff. He sounds like a Superman kind of figure. Yeah. This guy's pretty cool. He is pretty cool. And that's just the beginning of it. So in 1876, Stoker's dad died. Um, Stoker's dad was still a big influence on him. I mean, if you remember the name of one of the main characters in. Bram Stoker's Dracula, uh, is Abraham Van Helsing. And it wasn't a, you know, I know Stoker's name was Abraham as well, too, but he really saw that character as a father figure. And it comes out that, you know, his father had a big impact on him. Um, As I said earlier, though, he was in this point in time in the mid-70s, he was really kind of taken over his father's estate. He didn't have a lot to leave, like Stoker's mom or the rest of the family. Um, but And he had a lot of debt, so Stoker had to settle a lot of that debt and take over the estate, pay off some loans, pay off some some bad uh, affairs. Um, not some like shady individuals? Uh, well, no. <laughs> I, think, I think it just comes from him being just such a middle-class character. Like, he wasn't, like, a, a wealthy individual, and so he's kind of stuck in this... You know, I see it almost as, like, like the payday loans of today. He's leveraged. And yeah, he's yeah, leveraged, yeah. and we've got to pay it off. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> And uh, collect against like the different insurance policies and all of that, but uh, this dynamic also allowed Stoker's politics to kind of come out because his dad was very much an, a conservative Irish Catholic, and Stoker became very very liberal minded in that day and age. Um, and you'll see that through some of the connections that he made. But one of the biggest connections that he made right as his father was dying was meeting the actor Henry Irving. And a lot of people don't really understand how the two met or what they they kind of uh, – how their, their meeting transpired. I know that he reviewed uh, Henry Irving as Hamlet at one point, and Irving learned of the review, and the two of them ended up staying up late in a bar 
and just talking and just from talking to Irving and capturing that hypnotic kind of that very powerful presence that Irving had that helped shape who the vampire would become in Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, but for most people, they again, there was a lot of mystery into how they how they met. But a writer from the Leeds Times in July 13 of 1895 uh, had a little, you know, little insight into this. So this is what he wrote. Not many know how Mr. Bram Stoker came to be associated with the fortunes of Sir Henry Irving. It was in this wise, says a contemporary. Sir Henry, when on a visit to Dublin, was invited to a supper party and during the course of the evening was induced to recite in his thrilling way the dream of Eugene Aram. One of his auditors, a young man with a brilliant reputation at Trinity College, was so affected by the tragedians... Wow, that's bad. (laughs) Tragedians? Tragedians? Tragedy, right? Tragedians? Yeah, tragedians. All right, let's try it again. Was so affected by the tragedians. Oh, man, I don't know that that word. Tragedians. I right? never want to hear you was, make fun of my tangential. Yeah, I've never <laughs> seen this word. Was so affected by the tragedians' delivery that he burst into tears. Henry Irving asked the young man to call on him the next morning, and then and there made him an offer, which he was accepted. Uh, no, made him an offer, which was accepted to the mutual advantage of both. The young man was Mr. Bram Stoker. Very interesting. Mm. Thank you, original reporter from the Leeds Times from the 1890s my for delivering was, us. Who was my dad? dad was born in Leeds. <laughs> Your dad was born in Leeds? Yeah, that's where he's from. Oh, that's cool. So that was an authentic accent then. But, uh, no, but... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, let's ask your dad. Yeah, let's ask. Hey, Dad, did I do okay, Dad? Oh, heavens no. (laughs) Bloody dreadful. (laughs) So as I said earlier, Stoker's, uh, of all of Stoker's novels and his short stories, uh, Dracula was probably the most autobiographical. The role that Irving portrayed for Stoker and the relationship they had really affected heavily the vampire himself. Um What's really interesting about this is that he was also heavily influenced by a professor of English there at Trinity College, Edward Dowden, um, who introduced him to a radical new voice in poetry. And you want to talk about being liberal. I mean, I know Trevor and I had this discussion, Mm -hmm. you know, a few days ago about what does liberal really mean in 1890s? Does it mean liberal as in today? And we thought maybe not. But then when you look at the fact that he met Walt Whitman, I think Walt Whitman would be considered liberal even by today's standards. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's pretty fair. I mean, Whitman was definitely wow. a flavor. Yeah, um, and and they do eventually meet. I mean, Stoker at this point is just kind of learning about Walt Whitman and kind of realizing or studying some of his poetry, like Leaves of Grass and all of that. But and the and if you've ever seen like Dead Poet Society, like the O Captain, My Captain, that's all Walt yeah. Whitman. I, I mean, we we just <clears throat> saw a movie. Um, Nine days. Nine days. This that, earlier that this, concludes with a with monologue a, from Walt Whitman's poetry. Yeah, from Leaves of Grass itself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so Stoker was really, really, and especially as he's the son rallying against a conservative Catholic, um, he's really kind of and in, you know involving himself in this kind of politics and this kind of understanding. 
And it really becomes a case of hero worship, right, for Stoker. Um, and he was also, at the time, to, to show this kind of influence on him and this kind of liberal kind of belief system, he's working in the theater. He's uh, met Henry Irving. He's under. He's kind of introduced himself or, or kind of understanding now Walt Whitman. He's also, 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 <laughs> he's also really, really close to the Oscar, Oscar Wilde's family, like his parents and his siblings. Oscar Wilde is about seven years younger than Stoker at this point. And in fact, Oscar was Wilde. He, would you say that he was seven years younger at other points? Uh, I would. No, just that point. <laughs> well, it just depends. It dep- Actually, <laughs> doesn't it depend? Like if his birthday is before Stoker's, then there's a point in, in every year where he's like okay, only yeah. six years we younger. Could, yeah, oh, sure. Mm. You, got, right. you, you want a technicality, on a, a technicality, dude. Yeah. I did. I did. But at that point, it was seven years. At for that sure. point, it was yeah. seven years. <laughs> a worthy tangent. Um, I, I, I'm, really, <laughs> I'm really interested in... This is really wild to me. Like, if you know anything about Oscar Wilde, Oscar Wilde wrote The Importance of Being Earnest. He wrote The Picture of Dorian Gray. Um, Oscar Wilde, his own sexuality is going to come to play in this story itself in a little bit. But it starts initially. Show his wild side, huh? He showed his, yeah. He's going to walk on the wild side. Wild thing. With an E. Well, Stoker went to spend Christmas one year with Wilde's family, and also there was this beautiful, beautiful young lady named Florence Balcombe. And whereas Stoker was athletic and strong and big and broad-shouldered, Oscar Wilde was a little more dainty. He liked to really dress nice. He was really kind of into fashion and clothing. Um <laughs> Sounds very Oscar Wilde-ish. It does sound very Oscar Wilde-ish, doesn't it? Um, Well, Oscar Wilde, like, really took a fancy to this girl, Florence, uh, how did I, Balcom. And they start dating, and they dated for, like, two years. And you know why they stopped dating? She told Wilde that she was marrying Bram Stoker. Oh. So they date for two years, and she ends up by telling him she's marrying this other guy. Talk about it. Talk about a stake to the heart. Oh. (laughs) Oh, that's where the metaphor came from. Let's. This is uh, all coming together. Well, I mean, technically, the metaphor came from like them actually staking people in the heart because they thought they were vampires. Oh, <laughs> so what you're saying is that <laughs> they would bury them at crossroads. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this is a good tie into that. It worked. He's dead. Oh man. I'm sure. Wild, I'm sure Oscar. Wild, <laughs> I'm sure Oscar Wilde wanted to stake Bram Stoker through the heart. Yeah, that um, is that is brutal. So not not uh, you know I have to break up with you because I like this other guy. No, she, no, no. I'm She's like, I'm marrying other this other guy. And, I, I, and he's I mean, like, which other guy? Extent. The guy that was staying at your house when we met two years ago. He was yeah. staying with your family. Like, to a certain extent, that kind of makes a little bit of sense because like there, <laughs> there is kind of a courting ritual. But but at this point in time, it was much more like, hey, you want to get married? And sure. Yeah. We're only going to live to like, 40. We need to there's, yeah, make I these mean, decisions <laughs> now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, that's, that's kind of it. And if you wanted any kind of mobility, it's like it's you, you just married the first guy who... who like asked you. Really. I mean, technically, this is the second guy that comes along. She's so. like, Stability? Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah go. but he may have been the first one to ask. He might have been right? the first one to ask. Yeah. And yeah, Oscar Aww. Wilde is just uh, like, you know, damn it, prancing <laughs> around the question. Too much finesse on Oscar's part. Just I think the, if we knew, like if if the audience knows about Oscar Wilde, what we know about Oscar Wilde, prancing around the the question might be pretty accurate. Yeah, like there was um, a like a dandy. <laughs> He sounds was very like a, much a dandy. He sounds like a yeah. dandy. He was very much a dandy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, Stoker's not without uh, 
like without rumor and and kind of question and as far as his sexuality too. Um, Florence was very very beautiful, but the rumor is she was also very very frigid, and that is either due to Stoker's possible latent homosexuality or bisexuality. Um, Oscar Wilde was very he was a lot more public with it. Like the picture of Dorian Gray really dives into that kind of sexual discourse, whereas Stoker is a little bit more covered up, I guess, or or kind of closeted, I suppose. I, suppose I would say closeted. I would say closeted. In any case, they only ever have one child. And that's amazing. I mean, this is amazing because um, she was supposed to be this great beauty. I mean, she came between these two guys. And she, uh, you know, they only had this one child and and they blamed it on like it's almost like the biographers want to blame it on her frigidity, but they don't. Um, you know, they want to like blame her for everything that happens with like this relationship, but that's really not fair. I don't think. I don't think I we mean, have the it, full it, story. It comes back to the question of like who wrote this history, right? If so, well, much even of- in Belford's, like Barbara Belford, I mean, you would think right. she would have a, like a feminine kind of take on this, but it, it really doesn't. Well, it's I almost mean, like, well, how- Stoker's done this, but it's because she was frigid. It's like, what if it's the other way around? For for the most part, I mean, I think a lot of what they're assuming about Stoker's life it usually comes from something something like a, a primary source, like his his journals or maybe his letters or something like that, right? Studying that information, but you kind of have to understand like that comes from. Stoker's viewpoint, right? Not necessarily right. his wife's viewpoint and, and maybe studying his wife's correspondence or studying his wife's journals, which we may not even have because who keeps that sort of thing, yeah. right? Um, you know, that might shed a, a greater light on the issue. It could be maybe she was just not interested in a physical relationship and, and that that quote-unquote frigidity is legitimate but maybe it's not right. Maybe there's something. Well, there's else and there's also on. this rumor that she just didn't want to. She had like this great body, and she was like, "I don't want to ruin it by having kids." And that's fair. I mean, you know, that's if I yeah. if I had a great bod, I wouldn't want to ruin it by making my wife have kids. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> that's that's disturbing on a lot of levels. No, that was the joke. So anyway. <laughs> Stoker then decide his Stoker then starts building this this professional relationship with Henry Irving. So they've met at this point. He marries Florence. Uh, Stoker does. He starts building this professional relationship, and he does so by editing this play by Irving called it's it's all right. This is Dutch, so I'm going to butcher this. Um, Van der Decken. Van der Decken. Van der Decken. Van der Decken. Which is a tale about uh, the Flying Dutchman, and it's the story about this like undead man. He's caught between life and death, and so even at this point, people are seeing like parallels between like what Stoker is like involving himself with and things he's working on, like plays and, and in theater, and what he's uh, what's going to help shape Dracula at some point in the future. Um, Stoker also was in love with London, like fellow Irishman George Bernard Shaw. Irish writers saw um, and Stoker saw that the big thing to do to be a, a real literary talent was to move to London. Like they couldn't just stay in Ireland. But they, of course, mm. they had to move to London. You go where the you go where the people are. Yeah, it'd be like yeah. us today. Like if we re- like if I really cared about my writing, you know, I would move to New York. And 
I guess. There, does, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of that, right? Yeah. If you want to make it in the film industry, you go to LA. You go to LA. Yeah. yeah. So this is kind of the same idea back then. Right. Um, <clears throat> so he picked up his wife and he moved. I mean, not literally, or maybe he did literally. I don't know. But he, he, he certainly threw over his shoulder. He was buff enough. Yeah. He yeah. picked. Yeah, with all of like, his trapezing, I'm sure he could live <laughs> anybody. That's right. You think they fell in love because she was like, he's just such a marvel on the trapeze. <laughs> and then he stopped Lift trapezing and, and she was like, I don't know. He you got the dad bod. You don't do it for me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no so he picked trapezing. her up and they moved to London and he started And this. I feel like this could have had like a huge impact on their relationship as well, too. But he started like letting his siblings stay with them. Like his, mm. one of his, a couple of his brothers yeah. would come, like a couple of them were even like, there were several of his siblings that got into the medical field. Like Thornley was a doctor and a surgeon, but also so were a couple of his other siblings. And they would come and like live with Stoker and his wife in their, their flat in London. And it's mm. like, I'm sure that didn't probably help any kind of marriage issues that they were already suffering. From. I can't probably imagine not. how it would. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> But around this time, uh, Just bring the in-laws around. That's always great for a, really a good old <laughs> dose of yeah. yeah. In 1878, around this time too, um, Henry Irving took over the Lyceum Theater in mm. London, and he made Stoker his right-hand man. And what's cool about this is Henry Irving ran the Lyceum for 20 years, and Stoker worked wow. for Henry Irving for like 25 years. I agree, puppy. <laughs> I that is such an amazing. He's not gonna get picked up by the mics, but his little grunts are hilarious. his little grunts are hilarious. Right when I said that, I'm like, Stoker had a relationship with this guy, a professional relationship for two and a half decades with this guy, and the dog goes, yeah. So a little bit about the Lyceum Theater. It was been an active theater since 1780s. It was rebuilt on a larger scale after a fire in 1830. Under Irving, it had a seating capacity of 2,000 and employed between 450 and 600 people. That's pretty baller. Wow. That is amazing. For, it was for a theater. For a theater, that is huge. And it was successful. It was successful the entire time that Irving ran it. But Irving yeah. ran it with an, a, a fist of iron. I mean, he was just really hard-nosed on his people. Fists of iron. Fists of iron. <laughs> Brought to you by Bram Stoker. He probably hired Bram Stoker to... Because he was in the hist and the fist, so he, he knew. In, yeah, it was all. Yeah, he it knew. was. It was all in the stars. I need an iron fist. Well, that was what they called me in college. Yeah, <laughs> uh, iron fist. See, soaker. toothless Joe, the guy that I used to play rugby against. <laughs> <laughs> That's not just a clever nickname. He really has no teeth. <laughs> so Stoker um, was his right hand man in all of this, and Stoker like carried out his policies and his rules and everything. He he carried them out. Um, regularly and enthusiastically, like as hard as Henry Irving wanted to be on these characters, Stoker uh, really supported that. For instance, in 1882, there was this already distinguished actor um, named Sir Frank Benson, and he was playing his, his first role with the Lyceum. And he was told he had to wear makeup for this role. But he thought, professional actor as he was, that wearing this makeup would kind of obscure his performance and the audience wouldn't necessarily get it. So he elected to have the makeup not put on. And his uh, his uh, fellow actor, William Terrace, said, look, Stoker's going to catch you without your makeup on. He is, They explicitly said they want you to wear makeup and you're not going to wear it. 
you're going to get in big trouble. You're going to get the like, iron fist. You're going to get the yeah. iron fist. <laughs> yeah. And, and, uh, Soaker's just waiting there. And Benson's like, pish posh, I don't care. I'll do what I want. Pish posh. Yeah. And I, that's <laughs> spot on impression, by the way. That will, I thank you. That's exactly what I you said. did a lot of YouTube videos watching Benson <laughs> 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 to get that accent down. Um, and yeah, Stoker jumped his shit. Like after they were done performing, like Stoker like <laughs> screamed at him and yelled at him and jumped his shit. And Who Stoker, do you think you are? Who do you think you will? Oh wait, no, you come bad. in here and make this about you? There are six hundred people working here. It's about me, here. damn it! Right, right, yeah. I am the Iron Fist. <laughs> you don't wear makeup. I'll mm. show you makeup. Told him he's going to be giving him a lesson in makeup. Um. Stoker also had a major sway into kind of the plays they put on. Irving was very, very much into producing like Shakespearean plays, which were very popular at the time. But what would ultimately be uh, Irving's uh, downfall is uh, the fact that he wouldn't want to modernize any of his plays. Like he was sticking with Shakespeare mm. when there were other people moving into like yeah. newer productions and newer production values. And that would eventually be the downfall of Irving. Um, in 1879... Uh, he had the birth of, of his son and the Irish, or at least the Stoker family loved the name Noel or loved the name Thornley. Yeah. Noel. So is it Noel or Noel? It's no, it's a son. So I'm assuming Noel, but it's spelled like Noel or Noel splitting here. I guess it could be Noel. No, Noel. I mean, either way, maybe it's just because it we're we're just past the holiday season now and it's, you You still have Noel on the brain. Yeah. Should we tell Kate you have Noel on the brain? Uh, my bad, like I mean, who? <laughs> she may not take it so positively. <laughs> she knew. Hey, Kate. Especially since you know, lots. Especially since it wasn't the first Noel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. So what? So his name was Noel. Noel Thornley. Noel, Noel Thornley Stoker. Stoker. Okay. All right. I didn't know about the Noel part. Yeah, he got beat up a lot too. I think. Mm. Um, and this was also the first. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. He was a he was a Thornley in his dad's side. Oh, uh, again the same joke. Can, I know. We can I, edit did we tell right? it at the beginning of the episode, or did we I don't cut know it? If we it, have, but... it's a real Schrodinger's joke right now. <laughs> We're gonna have to cut down on these edit points, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's either there or not. <laughs> Only you, the listener, know. <laughs> yeah, it's like you said, yeah. It's both funny and not. <laughs> I think our, our reaction to it might be funnier than yeah. the, actual the actual joke, joke itself. Yeah. That's usually the case with my jokes, for those of you. If you're a long-time listener, you know this already. It's like it's part of the pun. Like it really doesn't work unless you unless you have a good ground. Speaking of which, every Twitter, every uh, Monday on Twitter, we do Pun Monday. So if you're not a part of it, we'd welcome you to do hashtag Pun Monday. No, seriously, and give part. us your your worst puns. Pun it's Monday. so fun. It really is the very height fun. of. Uh, I know. Literature. I know there are a lot of you out on Twitter who love being in like the writer community or whatever. Just use hashtag pun Monday. Give us a bad pun. Yep. We love it. Hashtag pun Monday. Yeah, make it a thing. So in 1883, Stoker and Irving organized the first American uh, tour, North American tour of the Lyceum's Theater Company. Um, this is where they met uh, Walt Whitman for the first time in Philadelphia. Uh, let's see. Do we want to have uh, from Stoker's... Uh, 
I just the personal experiences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Henry Irving. So Stoker wrote the biography for Henry Irving. It's called The Personal Experiences of Henry Irving. And in this, he wrote about meeting Walt Whitman. And do we want to have somebody? Want to have a a, Curtis? Why don't you give it a go? Walt Whitman. Yeah. Commercial break two. Is that what? No, no, no. We're 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 right before. (laughs) We're talking at this. this Sorry, I stopped reading. <laughs> What's the point of a script if you don't read it? I got lost. <laughs> That's right. Our host's eyes are glazing over. <laughs> I'll, I'll go. I'll, I'll, I've, I've got the right. Right. I found him all that I had ever dreamed of or wished for in him. Large minded, broad viewed, tolerant to the last degree, incarnate sympathy, understanding him. With an insight that seemed more than human. A man amongst men. And if you had any doubt about Stoker's sexuality, hopefully that cleared it up. (laughs) (laughs) I don't don't know. I'm a little more confused than ever. He was... Uh, what a man he was. I used to put he was on such a, a strapping man with big, broad just shoulders, a handsome, <laughs> wonderfully large tongue. <laughs> I like the a I like his, mustache. I like as he's describing this guy, there's still somebody in the audience who's like, I don't get it. I'm really not sure. I don't know. <laughs> We are going to take just a brief break with another one of our amazing sponsors, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then we'll be back in just a few minutes (laughs) to continue the story of Bram Stoker. This holiday season, show your family how much you appreciate them and give them Transylvania Steaks. When you give Transylvania Steaks, you give a unique experience they'll cherish always. For a limited time, send the perfect holiday gift at a very special price. Every Transylvania steak is aged in a kiln 21 days after carving to deliver the strongest wood fiber capable of penetrating the toughest vampire hearts. Every month, your loved one will receive a new steak in the mail from ash to oak to maple to dogwood, custom hewn to fit all range of sizes, making Transylvania steaks perfect whether you're nine or 90, male or female, an experienced vampire hunter or a novice looking for a weekend activity, fun for the whole family. Transylvania Steaks. Get yours today. Every day, hundreds of werewolves, rats, bats, and spiders are abused or killed. This season, thousands will die due to horrible cold, starvation, and neglect. Many of these animals are in pain, hurting from injuries caused by careless hunters and homeowners. Left untreated, these poor creatures will succumb to their injuries. Won't you please help them? For $5 a month, you can provide fresh virginal meat for a lonely werewolf, or enough cheese and feces to reinvigorate the rat population and spread the bubonic plague in a community similar to your own, or enough flies to nourish a host of brown recluse spiders or rabies-carrying bats. Remember, if you're cold, they're cold. Please, won't you help today?
so I'm going to set the stage for you guys. Do it's, it. It's 1888. This is inappropriate. What is that? This is. <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? Are we in Colorado? Let me set the stage. It's 1888. It's 1888. <laughs> Australia. Oh, there it is. Supposed to be from Iowa. Take us, take us to Supposed to be a British accent. Can you take us to Jamaica? 1888. All right, I'll, I'll drop the accents then. It's 1888 in <laughs> London. The Lyceum is putting on Macbeth which has its own kind of weird occult kind of symbolism throughout the play. Yeah, we have the weird yeah. witches. We oh, have, yeah. you know, the huge power struggle between Macbeth and King Duncan. You can't, you don't, you don't even say that it is Macbeth if you're performing Mac- Macbeth because you'll, it's like, you'll get like struck by stage lights and stuff. I wore right. it I, in high school. I had a shirt that I found at Gadzooks. I just dated myself and it had uh it said, before I met it, my it wife, had, I dated myself all the time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> <Dude. laughs> ah. um, it had a like a you know medieval looking crest on it, kind of random, but it said Macbeth on it. And I I went into the theater uh, at my high school, and the theater teacher actually yelled at me. Yeah, for having because there's on. a huge like Trevor. And do you I didn't know get the, it, so I thought oh, yeah. she was just crazy. Well, she was, but there's, yeah, they usually are. Yeah, it's a yeah. uh, very superstitious thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if you mention or, or like show like say Macbeth or anything in in the theater, like tragedy is gonna gonna happen. Right. She's yeah. She's the, like, are you wearing a the, Macbeth shirt in my theater? I think is how she reacted. This podcast doesn't count as like a a stage, right? Like like we're oh not. God, I hope not. We're not just saying it so many times that like like you know Candyman or something. He's gonna show <laughs> Mac, up and Macbeth is gonna appear and kill us. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm not remotely superstitious, so. Okay. On my end, you're good. You can say Macbeth all you want. Awesome. Very yeah. okay. Great. All right, I just awesome. need to make sure. Yeah. No. You know, because you... if the trees start moving, I'm we're gonna have a problem. <laughs> <laughs> they might move a little. I hope that doesn't distract you. Too do you much. know what? Do you know? Do you know what 1888 London is most famous for? No. Trevor, do you? Uh no. Jack. The Ripper. Oh yeah. Oh. Now I do. Jack the Ripper was terrorizing the South End. Yes, yes. In London at this time, as they were putting on Macbeth, and there was also the founding of something that I'm going to talk about in just a minute, called the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. So this is the occult. So much cooler than the year of the occult. Order of the Phoenix. It is, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's so much cooler. Oh man, yeah. Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. The Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. This is the 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 year of the occult in Stoker's life. Sounds like the kind of cult I would join. Yeah. Oh, wait till I get to it. I'm going to get to it here in just a second. Um, Now, there's been a lot of debate on how influential the murders were on Stoker in writing his fiction, and especially in writing Dracula. there's there's not a lot of clarity, but again, it's one of those like Carmilla kind of things yeah, where it surely I mean, had to. Have it's such a impact. It's him. weird because I th- I'm again we it's hard to contextualize from the moment right what mm-hmm. what it may have been like because we put so much emphasis on it going back like looking back in retrospect the Jack the Ripper murders were kind of sensational. Uh, I feel like the historic record reflects that it was sensational enough that oh, yeah. it's it's probably likely that this is on everybody's mind, right? I, I like depending on on which historian you talk to, the Jack the Ripper murders like were what ushered in right the age of media in the the twentieth century mm-hmm. because it was the, really the sensationalization trans- yeah. of what was going on. Thanks, Jack. 
you know, really, you, really kind of transformed uh, public consciousness about these sorts of things. His work was not pretty, but it served its role. One of the loudest voices serving accolades to Stoker after Dracula was uh, was published was Sir Melville McNaughton of Scotland Yard, who actually worked the Jack the Ripper murders. And he was fascinated with Stoker's detail about blood and how mm. like the, the, the murders in the book were being carried out right. because he it brought him back to that case and like having having witnessed firsthand oh. Jack the Jack the Ripper's kind of violence and, and his what he did to his victims. Ooh, that's pretty brutal. Yeah. Yeah. That's so I mean, I guess that's cool that a horror writer gets that kind of accolades. I mean yeah. I don't feel like there's anything in the, the history books that he was like, Hey Stoker, where were you? Like when this shit was going on. <laughs> <laughs> like but uh, that he, he, I was trapezing. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. I, was I have a very busy day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was writing volume Those two gymnasts, of the of the Petticoat Junction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, but yeah. So so there's there's it's a pretty good consensus that the the Ripper murders like influenced him. Like he was pretty well. I mean, everyone was aware. I think of the Amer. They even were talking about it in the Americas. Like mm-hmm. people knew like the Ripper murders were going on. In fact, they were talking about it in the the Americas because a couple of years later, um, when Lizzie Borden had that famous case, like people tried to say Jack the Ripper had come to America and that was him. Like doing the killings there as well too. Mm. So, so every, this is like a worldwide, like you were right about that, Trevor, this is a worldwide, like media attention grabbing kind of story. The the media, especially like really latched. And it hasn't let up in like a hundred and what, 50 years, 140 years, something like that. We're we're still, like we're still talking about it. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's really interesting, but the hermetic order of the golden dawn, this was the other, the third part of the trifecta of the occult that kind of affected Stoker and Irving during this year. Now, we've all heard, at least in movies or watching these books, about like the occult secret societies. We've talked about like, you know, this this kind of hidden message throughout the world, like this hidden knowledge that yeah. can only be released to certain people. Yeah. This the all, Illuminati. The Illuminati. The, the uh, Illuminati. All of this the started. Freemasons. Yes, the Freemasons. All yeah. of this started with the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Um, in fact, it was founded by a, one of the Freemasons, a coroner in London named William Wynne Westcott. Um, That's a was, name for the ages. Is, it is. Uh, William. Well, Westcott wasn't the only founder. There were like two other people that helped him find the secret society. Um, but Westcott was a Freemason, and he founded the order in 1888. They practiced ritual magic. Um, they, uh, let's see, I've lost my place here magic yeah oh. wow yeah they practiced like like seances they did uh tarot um they did alchemy or tried to do alchemy they uh did uh spells to like recess uh, recite or, or not recite um resuscitate like gods and and like demons or speak to angels or speak to different spirits oh I wow mean, they were really like into like the real black magic kind of stuff i'm scared of all those things i i think it was just cool yeah, I don't know. So you're out for the I seance really after the recording? I really hope that they like Olivia Wilde. Am I out of the seance? <laughs> what? what? <laughs> I really hope that these guys. Well, I don't think William look like William Westcott like, looked like, like Olivia Wilde. I don't think William Westcott looked like Olivia Wilde. Well, no, I would. But hope this not. would have been the no, same I'm thing that the would have influenced. Trying to resurrect. Yeah, you know, because I, I don't know. I'm I'm just again, I like when it comes to cult things. I'm like, why would you want to do that? Unless they were Olivia Wilde. But and that then, idea, sure, like the Gozer, the Gazarian, and the secret societies and yeah. stuff that they talk about in Ghostbusters, all that came from this. Um, oh, sure, yeah. Rosicrucian, uh, it was a Rosicrucian Freemason. And it's funny that I can say Rosicrucian when I can't say 
tangential. Uh, hey, I just said tangential. You did it. You're I learning. Did. And I kept the S off and I didn't sexualize the word. So, hey, <laughs> I'm growing as a human being. One everybody. of these days we'll move on from that <laughs> evolution of Jeremy so, Billingsley. My co host just asked me what Rosicrucia meant. <laughs> um, thank you, guys. I'll define it for you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, do Tell it us. like, do it, okay, do this reading. Yeah. Like you're a second grader at a spelling bee. Rosicrucian. No. <laughs> I take it back. That'll take too long. It will. It will. All right. So basically what the what the, the thing behind Rosicrucian and kind of this belief system for the, the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, what they believe is that there is a secret knowledge passed down from the gods to different societies, to different like priests and 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 uh, different people who are deserving of this knowledge. And so they they believe all of this was hidden into different um, grimoires, different texts uh, throughout history. And so they don't think this information is viable for everybody, but they do believe that this is kind of like a, a knowledge that they need to carry on and press on. And it was very occult, very secret, you know, ritual magic with the like magic spelled like, not. I'm not talking like pull a rabbit out of the hat. I'm talking like, M-A-G-I-C-K, magic, like the the scary, oh, you yeah. know, casting spells and, and doing all this stuff. Yeah. This is what they believed in. And this wasn't just a bunch. I mean, it's you might yeah, think the, it's a bunch of crackpots. No, I, uh, I'm i looking at the guest list here of yeah, this the, Hermetic Order of the Golden Nun, and there are some cra- there's some names in here. Like, Stoker was believed to be a part of this, but he wasn't the only one. Like, do you want to tell us some of the names that yeah, you're seeing? Yeah, Alistair Crowley. Alistair oh, Crowley. He, he wrote the... the he wrote a bunch of weirdo, uh, like, was, r- r- pseudo-religious what, what his, texts. I forgot what it was called. Like the uh, Necronomicon, Thelema. allegedly. Thelema? Thelema was his religion. He was kicked out of the Hermetic Order of the, of the Golden Dawn <laughs> for being too wild, yeah. too weird, and he founded Thelema. I mean, Crowley yeah. Crowley is the name that's given to virtually any demon, you know, associated Except with Except we're mispronouncing right. it. Like, that's how, that's how um, Crowley, Black Sabbath it pronounced Crowley. it. Crowley. Was it Crowley? Crowley, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Arthur Machen, who yeah. another like very influential dark fantasy slash you know horror fiction writer, mm-hmm. he would just be uh, you know like I don't know, just a writer. I don't know that genre exists in the same the same way in the nineteenth century. I don't think but, it did. Yeah, I think they. Yeah, but they were but definitely fluid. what what would today be like a dark fantasy or or uh, a horror writer. Algernon Blackwood, same thing. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, that's the Sherlock Holmes guy. William fucking Butler Yates. Yeah, William Butler Yates. Uh, <laughs> is that the full title? That is, yeah, that William is. fucking Butler Yates. <laughs> where, where do you put the fucking in his name? Fucking William Butler Yates? If William you're mad fucking at him, that's what you say. Only if you're William his wife. William Butler fucking Yates? Yeah. It depends you only on... put fucking first if it's his wife. Fucking William Butler Yates. Oh, okay. Oh, like it's, a, like it's yeah. a verb. Yeah. 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 Uh. <laughs> Authors, yeah. medical professionals, uh, actors, poets, stockbrokers, scientists, political activists, college professors, musicians, bankers, filmmakers, playwrights, theologians. School These board were, members. School board members. <laughs> your postal carrier. The guy who cuts meat at the grocery store. Yeah. I mean. Old Tony Jack down the on the corner. The parent teacher association. Yeah. yeah. Everyone. Your youth oh, my lunch pastor. Lady. The- yeah, your youth pastor. <laughs> Graham Graham. <laughs> Everybody was in the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. So yeah, so Stoker was was accused or, or 
suspected of being involved in this as well. But what the people, they're sure of one thing. Either he was involved in the Hermetic Order, and so he knew about these things directly, and he spoke about them in his novels and in Dracula, or he at least had friends who were involved with them. Now, you guys remember me talking about Oscar Wilde, right? Mm-hmm. Well, Oscar Wilde eventually got over Stoker stealing his woman and got married to a woman named Constance Lloyd Wilde, right? And they had a couple of kids together as well, too. Um but Constance Lloyd Wilde was also a member of the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. When she got kind of tired or kind of like she was, I, I feel like when I read this about this, she was almost like trying to find something to fill her life because Oscar Wilde was going around filling his life with like guys and whatever else he could find. <laughs> like she what was trying do? to, yeah. she was trying to find a purpose, right? So I feel like the purpose, like she filled it first with the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. But when she got tired of that, she left for a little bit and joined Madame Blavatsky's troupe. So Madame Blavatsky, if you want to talk about like as influential as the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn is on what we see as like this occult practices right, yeah. and magic and stuff, Madame Blavatsky was just as an inspirational kind of figure. She's the one that bought things like the Kabbalah. Uh, Kabbalah. Did, did I mispronounce that? Is it Kabbalah? The Kabbalah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eastern religions, um, esoterica, and folded them into the spirituality of the Victorian age mm. and really kind of helped us formulate what the word occult means in like right. today's language. So Constance was jumping from like Madame Blavatsky to the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. And she was informing uh, Stoker, they believe, at least some of these guys were informing Stoker about some of these practices if he wasn't involved in them personally. Mm, yeah. And that spills over into Dracula, and it's very, very heavy yeah. into the, the occult. Esoterica? Esoterica. Yeah, I've never heard mm-hmm. of that. Now, is that something that a lot of people could understand or just a closed group? No, I mean, if, unless you're really... Oh, I get it. <laughs> it's a joke. It's a joke. I fell for it. It's a joke. I fell for it too. Sorry, I, I knew, I knew um, that was going to be too nerdy and, was, <laughs> and, know, and esoteric. I'm really bad at, at reading, like when someone's being earnest and and like someone's just joking at me. Yeah, I, really I tend to give like super hard winks at people <laughs> yeah, yeah. joking. Yeah. But you make a good point because this was a very closed group. It was like the like the 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 Freemason groups of today, or like the the right. what is it, the Elk Lodge, or some of these groups that you have to join. The thing that was really um, modern about this about the the hermetic order is that it did include women and men on the same level it wasn't just a group of like a bunch of guys hanging out boys club it wasn't a boys club right definitely not boys club but it was very very closed door like they didn't want any of their stuff getting out to anybody um so in 1890 well, what's important, too, about uh, the reason I also mentioned Madame Blavatsky is that later her beliefs in, like, um, in some of this Aryan belief system would later, like, influence the Nazis. And if those of you out there who aren't, you know, clear about this, the Nazis were very, very heavy into the occult, and they were very influenced by the occult. I didn't know that. No. They were, yeah, oh, they no, were. I, yeah, Hitler uh, collected a whole bunch of, of like relics and, and stuff like, like that. That stuff from Indiana Jones for. about him looking for, for th- occult that's relics. That's a basis in reality. Yeah, that I was mean, real. They, the events of Indiana Jones, of Were they trying totally to fictional. control the outcome of the war with, they like, were. with spells? Yeah. Oh, uh, oh, well, absolutely. I, I don't. Maybe. You know, well, I mean, Hitler I mean, was anything, at least. Hitler, like was, Hitler was also on just like a 
fuck ton of drugs too. Yeah. Like, well, and we he really ordered can't... like the Nazis to be put on a fuck ton of drugs too, to yeah. like make some of those yeah, marches. Yeah. Like when they went to invade Russia, he like had them all on like basically the modern day equivalent of meth. And to a certain they were like extent, berserkers to yeah. the uh, to the Vikings. Right? And I'm just gonna go off on on a limb here and and just kind of guess, but I mean, to a certain extent, you kind of maybe want to control some of the uh, religious or or kind of occultish ideas. Um, you know that that you're you're kind of setting up in your your governance because occultism, I think, religion, uh, is is a powerful force in controlling people, right? And so you you if you can control that narrative or you can set that narrative, you you can manipulate a whole lot of people. And, and you see this very thing mirrored in like cults today. Like oh, they have yeah, that. Absolutely. This knowledge is secret. You haven't earned the right to learn this knowledge oh, just yeah. yet. So we're going to keep Sci- it from you. Isn't that that's all Scientology? Scientology, right? yeah. Scientology yeah. is all about that. Well, you got to pay two hundred fifty dollars if you want to know the the secret. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> so, you can't get to Tom Cruise level without you know a couple million bucks. <laughs> Imagine what that guy knows. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I do wish we were on video because I think the face I made was better than just. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so around 1890, Stoker publishes his first novel. Now, he's already published that manual, <laughs> but he's published his first novel called The Snake's Pass. He also begins research on... <laughs> he also begins... <laughs> We're not I've lost there, Curtis. Right? Curtis yeah. is gone. Curtis is... He's yeah. just rolling on the floor. My he's, eyes are in the back of my head. Um, he's also begun research on the novel The Undead, which would later become Dracula. Now, this is 1890s, so it's about six years before, six or seven years before the novel actually reaches publication. He doesn't do this level of research with all of his books. His That shows kind of how important Dracula was to him, even at this point. Like, he understood what he was trying to say with this novel and that it would almost be like the um, the pinnacle of his literary career. I think he had that that kind of understanding with it. I mean, Trevor's kind of, is he making a face? Is he going to disagree? Or I mean, if you do, it's okay. Now, I, I have in our script listed probably, what, about 15 different sources? That's why I was frowning. I was looking at all these sources. I'm not naming all of these. What I'm going to do, though, I think what would be good is as I'm listing our sources for the that inspired us to write the script, I think I'm going to list the sources that influenced Stoker's Dracula on, on our webpage, too. So if you want to see all the things that influenced him, uh, the one I will talk about is a book by William Wilkinson. All these British guys had like WW names. Like they, I keep telling my wife that I, if we ever have a kid, I want to name him Will William Williamson, <laughs> because I think that's hilarious. Well, alliteration is very Bill. important yeah. sometimes. Well, it's all just the same name. William just Wordsworth. Longer and longer. I mean, yeah, yeah. So um, the reason William William Wilkinson is important is because he was the source for the historical Dracula, but Stoker pulled on a lot of different sources or pulled from a lot of different sources to address, you know, uh, rituals and customs in that part of the world. He looked at, you know, sources on mythology. He looked at a lot of things to really influence him. Um, <clears throat> now, the last thing that I want to discuss before our next, our final commercial break for the the, ser- the episode, or episodes, I mean, this could be long enough, we could break this thing up, right? I mean, uh, is <laughs> that in 1895, he published two novels, even as Henry Irving, and his brother Thornley are knighted by Queen Victoria. Um, this is also during the time that Oscar Wilde went on trial for his indecencies. Oh, Oscar. Oscar, you indecent you dandy. devil. 
You indecent dandy. So on May 25th, Queen Victoria knighted Stoker's mentor and friend and his brother. Uh, She normally stuck to she was famous for sticking to the traditional words of the knighting ceremony. But as she laid the sword on Irving's shoulder, she added, I am very, very pleased, which just goes to show how influential Irving was even on on the queen and on the the court, um, how important he was seen. Special guy. Uh, Meanwhile, this is Oscar Wilde's second trial of – it's not just indecency. It's gross indecency. Oh, I mean that. That's that's where it makes you go gross. Pretty pretty specific. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they were. Do you have any more details or? Well, I mean, I mean, I don't know the legal definition of gross indecency. He was just gross, meaning like like in volume, not necessarily in in. uh, Well, knowing the the prudishness of some of these (laughs) Victorians, it probably was gross. Ew! You stuck your penis well. You told me you were going to do what? I've heard of brown nosing, but this is ridiculous. <laughs> Yikes. Gross. <laughs> so if you haven't gleaned what we're talking about when we talk about he was put on trial, I'm sorry, you're just a lost cause. Um, he was put on, Yes, he was put on trial for homosexual activities. Yep. And he was oh, okay. convicted and put to prison for oh, okay. these, these practices. Um, he was also wildly popular at this time. He had just published the book uh, Picture of Dorian Gray, um, which has its own parallels, like Faustian parallels mm-hmm. with Dracula. And he uh, had his play, The The Importance of Being Earnest, was out. Um, he uh, was well known to dabble in, like, bisexuality. Like, he was married to Constance Lloyd, uh, Lloyd Wilde, but he was also, like, engaging with different men. And these were themes that he was, you know, like Dorian Gray, like explores these themes of bisexuality in the book. Mm-hmm. And he was definitely going on in this. Do you think they would have, he would have gotten in so much trouble and smeared and all that if, if he weren't a famous person? You think maybe, you know, it's like Willie at the airport. It's hard. Getting I mean, busted it, for weed. maybe it's hard to know. Possibly. I, yeah. I don't know the answer. It would have been definitely that. scandalous back then. Right. Like this would have definitely. I, I mean, there would that happen no, to just it, any old person or is it You like, raise a good question. Make an example out of this guy. You raise a good question. It could be just making an example of him. Right. Right. Like, like he. He's because he's pretty well known yeah. in a lot of these circles, you know, like hitting Oscar Wilde could send the, the message that, you know. Yeah, it's very really plausible, right? Yeah. And that's if something you guys else, can. Plausible. Yeah, and that's something definitely that people can think about. I mean, think about this. People were not just imprisoned for homosexuality, but they were also like thrown in, in you know, asylums, like mental asylums. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So, um, so this was something that was very, I mean, or worse. <laughs> right. Or worse. Yeah. Or worse. Yeah. 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 They're put in Hellraiser too. Yeah. <laughs> Throwback. Or Hellraiser three through ten. Right. Like, yeah. It's like yeah, I couldn't right. even make it into Hellraiser two. Yeah. Gross indecency. I sentence you to Hellraiser five. <laughs> yeah.